I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on this episode. We will discuss Anthony Richardson stealing the show at the NFL Combine. Plus, we'll check in on how the other Gators performed in Indy for six bits. We'll cover early spring ball news and notes. And Billy Napier has named a new tight ends coach. Uh, Will, how's it going tonight, man? Yeah, it's going pretty well. We're getting uh, getting towards, you know, spring practice has started. We're getting towards all the lying seasons. We get to see all the the random videos coming out of spring practice where, you know, one pass, Mertz is right on target. The next one, it's like, ooh, look, the tight end made a great catch. And everybody omits the fact that it was a terrible pass. So, you know, hey, we're we're uh, we're we're getting to lying season. This is always a fun part of the season. And, and certainly I don't think we want to make any determinations on one video that we see, but it's fun to have football back in our lives again. Yeah, spring ball where, where one pass gets analyzed to death. <laughs> that's, that's how desperate we are for football right now this time of year, though. So Pretty much. It, it makes sense. Well, let's talk about Anthony Richardson here to start the show. Absolute incredible performance in Indianapolis, a 4.43 in the 40-yard dash. 10-yard split, he was 1.53 seconds. Vertical jump, 40.5 inches. Broad jump, 10 inches, uh, or 10 feet, 9 inches. I'm sorry, 10 feet, 9 inches. Richardson, really not a surprise here. This is something that we've even talked about uh, well before we even knew he was going to the NFL. We know Anthony Richardson is a freak athlete. This is something that's known about him. What's not as known, Will, is can he play a quarterback at a level that's going to warrant where he's drafted? That's going to be interesting to find out. However, in terms of freakish ability, athletic ability, this is what we loved about him coming into last season. Uh, so some of the strengths and weaknesses here from the scouts, elite size, strength, and athletic ability for, for the quarterback uh, position, good awareness of pressure mounting around him, and he ran for touchdowns of 45, 60, 73, 80, 81 yards over the past two seasons. So, again, just a testament to his athletic ability overall. Uh, weaknesses, inconsistency, and inaccuracy made it hard for him to have sustained success. Needs to take some spice off of short throws. Love scouting words, man. Needs to take some spice off short throws. We saw that a few times last year. Accuracy issues are often a function of poor footwork. We also discussed that at times throughout the season, Will. But I liked your article on Richardson this week. You have it up on readingreaction.com if anyone hasn't checked it out yet. You said, uh, but here's the thing about the NFL. They don't care about what you are today. They only care about what you can turn into when you get into the league. That makes Richardson both a tantalizing talent, but also fear-inducing for a general manager because imagine what happens if you pass up on him and he becomes a star. And that's exactly why he's going to go very high in the draft. You look at Josh Allen. Josh Allen, it, I think he had maybe one other offer coming out of uh, coming out of high school in California, gets out there to Wyoming. When I started hearing about Josh Allen as a prospect, I was like, okay, he's big and he can rip the ball and everything. But that senior season, I believe they played Iowa and Nebraska, and he really did nothing in either game that made you fully go, this guy's going to be the next great thing in the NFL. But you look at what he did in the NFL. They got Brian Dable up there for his second year in the league, I believe. And he just took off in the last few years and has really blossomed despite not showing that entire ability. The Josh Allen we see today was not the Josh Allen we saw at Wyoming. And that's why Richardson is going to get this opportunity. And I mean, certainly, Hey, he's a Gator. We're absolutely rooting for him. Hope for the best, but 
it's definitely a situation. I would love to to see him go to a situation where he had a veteran support in front of him. Something like I know he's been mentioned with the Seahawks. You got Geno Smith there. That's going to be established for another year or two at least. Let him sit and learn for a year or two, and then let him get in, in comfortably rather than being rushed in. I think it's going to really depend on where he ends up. Will. Yeah, well, I mean, so the NFL general managers are going through the exact same thing we did in like August of last year, right? And then even maybe more so after the Utah game where we were like, oh my God, like this guy's going to win the Heisman Mm -hmm. Trophy. And then everything fell apart against Kentucky. And so, you know, ever since then it's been, and we've talked about it, it's been up and down and up and down and up and down. But the problem is, is when you turn on the film, even in his downs, he tends to be making the right read. And so oftentimes when you see completion percentages being down, that's a function of somebody trying to fit the ball into a tight space, throwing it into double coverage, having to throw the ball away because he made bad decisions, like those sorts of things. I would say that for the most part, Richardson obviously threw a few too many interceptions, but for the most part, his incompletions and, and his lack of completion percentage is not based on going to the wrong place with the ball. It's not being able to put the ball where it needs to be. When you've got a guy running open and you're going to the right spot, that is fixable, right? That is a footwork thing. That is a release thing. That is a teaching a quarterback to be more consistent. That is fixable. I think if it was he was not going through his progressions, he was not able to feel pressure coming after him. If he wasn't able to turn, you know, like if if he wasn't able to understand what the defense was doing against him when they switched post snap, you know, that you go from a single high to a to a two high because of safety drops or vice versa, and he's not picking that up. Um But that was not what happened last year. Very rarely did he get caught not knowing what the defense was doing. It was just that when it came time to execute, he wasn't always able to put the ball right on the numbers. Now, he didn't have a whole lot of help. I mean, you know, even if you look back to the Florida State game, um, I saw a clip on Twitter the other day where somebody showed the play right before the fourth down where he had the face mask that was missed. And on third down, I think it was, he hit Caleb Douglas, I think, on a little crossing ride. It was a beautiful throw over a corner, under a safety, um, hits Davis. I actually thought Davis or Douglas, I actually thought Douglas got targeted on the play, but he drops the ball. Otherwise, it would have been a first and goal from like the four with, you know, 40, 50 seconds left. Florida would have been in business, probably ties that game or at least gets a touchdown and then decides to go for two and maybe pulls it out. Um, That didn't happen. And that happened a lot, right? I mean, you sent me something earlier today about Vanderbilt where a scout was watching that game and the balls were dropped all over the place. Mm -hmm. I mean, and he threw multiple touchdown passes in that one (laughs) that just bounced off of people's hands and then had to go back and do it again. Um, You know, look, so Florida didn't always help him. Richardson certainly has things he needs to improve on. He was not the best passer in the SEC by any stretch of the imagination. By QB rating, he was 11th. But based on expected points added or yards above replacement or anything like that, he basically ranked like fifth. And so he was in the top tier of SEC quarterbacks when you built in that athleticism. And you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson in the NFL – you know, he came in and was not a polished passer, but his athletic ability separated him. The Ravens put him in an offense that allowed him to take advantage of his athletic ability. And all of a sudden you got a guy who's winning the NFL MVP. And that's the thing, right? When Patrick Mahomes got drafted, I believe the Chiefs traded up to draft right. Patrick Mahomes. In fact, I think they traded with Buffalo to get Patrick Mahomes, which is ironic considering he keeps demolishing Buffalo in the playoffs. But they traded up to get Patrick Mahomes at 10. Mitchell Trubisky went second to the Bears Mm -hmm. and Trubisky was if you go back and think about it and you go back and look at it Trubisky was the safe pick he was the guy who had all the starts at North Carolina who had developed over time who'd built into this guy who was really really who was a good prospect 
Also a projection, though. He was a bit of projection at the time. It's a not little. Like he, was a do- he wasn't a dominant college quarterback. No, but I mean, I, I, I would say if you look at the guys who are at the top, Young, Young won a lot of games in Alabama. I don't think he was dominant. I mean, his QB rating wasn't up around, around like 190 or 200 like Jalen Hurts's was or even like Tua's was. Um, he was sitting in that 150, 160 range most of the time he was there. In fact, Stetson Bennett had better QB stats than Brian, than Bryce Young did if you look at their careers, I think. Maybe Young – or Bennett's probably drops because of his first year there where he struggled in 2020. But um, So anyway, the, the point is, is that Richardson has the ability to change a franchise, and you only get a couple of opportunities to do that, right? Like um, – you know, right now in the NBA, you've got everybody tanking for Wimbayana. Uh, back in, you know, when LeBron was, was available, like everybody who didn't get LeBron, like he had Darko taking number two, right? And actually, Carmelo went number three, but he didn't win anybody a title. And so, you know, and, in, and that's in the NBA where one guy can change your fortunes at quarterback. It's the same thing in the NFL. So, you know, I, I, I understand. It's funny. You and I have been arguing all, all season long. And I think you were sort of in the camp of he needs to come back. He's not ready. He's not even going to make it in the first round. Now they're talking about he's going to be a top five pick. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. I, I that love he's been his, able to do that. I, I love his ability. I love the talent. I see all that. I'm as pro Anthony Richardson as anybody out there in terms of potential. But where potential and where you're at. Like, I understand if you have a chance to go in the top 15, you got to go. And it seems like that's a sure fire thing, especially after this workout that he's going to go in the top 15. Uh, but you talked about, I think part of the logic too. look at the quarterback market this year. You got CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, and Richardson is going to get, if you're going to take a shot on, on Bryce Young, he's a smaller guy too. Like, I mean, so do you, do you take the guy with the measurables or you take the guy that played at Alabama? Like Alabama is not necessarily pumping out. It's not a sure thing that you're going to get a guaranteed surefire quarterback out of Alabama. They've had a couple of their guys come into the league and just be okay. You know, so it's I, I, I definitely see the potential of Richardson. However, I I personally I would have loved to see him come back for another year and and, and work on his development, because I think right now he's just pure potential. <laughs> I, I think sure. you saw the tip of the iceberg and you saw a lot of those throws. You know, he struggled with the high throws last year. A lot of times he'd be all, he'd be a little unsettled in the pocket. He, he kind of would he would make a throw. I mean, I I've seen him with bad footwork, make great throws too. Cause he's that good of an athlete. He can overcome that to an extent, but that's why I think if he gets in, if he gets into the right situation where he can get coached up for a couple of years and not have the pressure of being the franchise right away, I think that that would be a situation where there's some success in, in the future potential, but it, it, you need a patient franchise. Like I would love to see like a Jordan love situation for him where maybe he's not sitting for four years behind Aaron Rodgers, but Kyle Trask, right? What's he going into now? Is he going into your, it's your, uh, your three four, or four, your, yeah. your three or four in the league. He's 2020. 20, so 21, 22, 23 year three. He's a starter. Like get a Kyle Trask situation there for Richardson where by year three, he's your, he's your guy. I think I would like to see that for him. I would worry if he had to go out from day one and be the face of the franchise, that'd be difficult. I'm not all that worried about him because he's going to make somewhere between 15 and $20 million guaranteed. If he's just in the middle of the first round, it'll even be more than that. If he's, a, yeah. if he's in the top five, well, I'm not so... worried about his bank account to be clear. His <laughs> well... bank account will be fine. I'm talking about in terms of NFL success. I but... think he needs that development to be a very successful NFL quarterback. 
Or, well, and, and I actually don't know. I think that one of the things that you find is that the quarterbacks who have a ton of athletic ability tend to be able to use that athletic ability to be productive early on. You look at Justin Fields this year. Obviously, that was his second year in the Bears system, but he was starting by the end of last year, and then he takes over and he starts this year. Now, the Bears weren't any good, and, and Fields winds up hurt at the end of the year, but still, Fields was starting to develop by mm-hmm. the time he got towards the end of the season. Now, <laughs> that's actually an interesting situation because the Bears are sitting up there um, – sitting up there pretty high, I think, in the draft. What do you do, right? And they've sort of talked about investing in fields. That's the thing where you got to be careful, right? If you bring in Richardson, you got to evaluate him right away and and decide, is he your franchise quarterback or not? And then and then move. I, I don't know that this is something that like two or three years from now, he's going to be that much better. I think you're going to work on mechanics. You're going to work on all that sort of stuff. But at some point, it's the fact that he can run an eighty yard, that he can break an eighty yard run, yeah, that makes him enticing. But also, we saw some of those deep throws, like you get, you get, you get one on one on the outside. Richards is going to be able to make the throw to get the guy to get the ball to a guy who's more physically gifted than anybody he's had at Florida as well. So, um, I think he'll throw a lot of picks. But look, Peyton Manning threw a ton of picks his first year he was out there. I'm not comparing Richardson to Manning, but Manning threw a bunch of picks too. At some point, you just got to get out there and play. I'm not really worried about whether he goes out there and plays right away. I don't think he's going to play great right away, but I think he's too physically gifted to just like fall apart and turtle, right? So I don't think he's going to end up like he's not, definitely not going to be boring. It's not going to be like watching Trubisky with the Steelers where you're just like, oh my God, this is hideous. Um, or with the Bears, <laughs> you're just like, oh, this is hideous. I can't even watch this. Like it'll be electric regardless of whether he's whether he's playing great through the air or not um you know this isn't the who's the guy malik uh malik willis for the titans Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. that's a place where people might compare it but look i I think if you go back and look at the film on malik willis there are things that that indicate that he was struggling with some of his reads and then that showed up last year when he came into the games i don't see that with richardson i see an ability to work his way through his progressions and get to the right guy and throw it to the right guy he just doesn't always get it there to the to the guy in in an accurate way and we saw that in the combine there was there was some out routes that just got completely airmailed that'll get fixed right when you're working on your craft 24/7 with the best coaches in the world teaching you how to do it you will get better i i i I, I am not going to say that he's going to be an other world quarterback because I don't know. I, I think he's going to be better. I think it will be a top 15 quarterback two years from now. Yeah, I, I, I understand the appeal. I will su- certainly be rooting for the guy, but all big time risk, big time risk drafting him that high, but it was a big time risk drafting. But for every Josh Allen story, you could tell about 10 stories that don't work out like Josh Allen. So sure. But I'll say this. Richardson's got the skill set to be in the league for a long time. We're talking about the difference of whether or not he's going to be that high-level starting quarterback that's going to change a franchise. But I, I do think I see a long NFL career ahead for him because he's just got everything you need to play in the league. Um, all right, let's move on to the combine news and notes for other Gators here. 319 players invited to participate in the event. Florida had nine, matching the national high this year, tying Michigan and LSU. Uh, certainly other big names here this year. Uh, our biggest probably outside of Anthony Richardson, Osiris Torrance will uh, probably another Gator that's looking at a first round pick. Yeah. I mean, Torrance obviously is, is, is the guy that, 
<laughs> that really hurt to lose. I mean, we saw that in the bowl game. Um, didn't give up a sack all year, I don't think. I'm not sure he gave up a sack the last two years. Comes from the Sun Belt where he was very successful. Comes to the SEC and immediately becomes the best offensive lineman <laughs> in the SEC. Certainly, guard is a place where you don't expect anybody to go in the top 15 just because that's not that's not a premium position in the NFL. But we we've all seen what can happen when you've got an effective offensive line um, that can that can protect up the middle that that doesn't that doesn't struggle in any sort of pass protection. So Torrance is going to get a significant look there, probably into the first round, being the second round. I don't know that he did anything in the combine that like makes me change my opinion in terms of where he's going to go. I think it's just it's going to be late first, early second, depending upon uh, needs and and who who exactly who exactly is drafting at those particular spots. This is actually a place where the the rookie salary cap in the NFL really helps guys like Torrance who are at non premium positions, mm-hmm. because in the past, if you had to pay some guy fifty million dollars when he was the twenty seventh pick in the draft, you better be making sure you're getting a skill position there. Now you can bring in guys who help build your fronts. Um, at that position because you know you're guaranteeing them seven ten twelve million bucks you're not guaranteeing them you know 50 or 80 million dollars like it used to be seen him mock to the jags a few times so I, I would love to see him in jacksonville he did 23 reps on the on the bench press will for context trey dean did 25 so trey dean rashad torrance made some headlines with the, the not so blazing 40 yard dashes both ran over four sevens in the 40 yard dash but 20 reps for Torrance on the on the bench, 25 for Dean. So they're bringing something to the table here, Will. We've certainly seen, I think with Dean's physicality, Dean's the type of guy, I think he's got a real shot of getting drafted here and becoming a, a solid contributor in year one on special teams somewhere. I obviously what was not my favorite Gator throughout his career. Well, he, he definitely has his uh, issues he needs to clean up on the field. However, just – physical freak that can absolutely contribute in year one on special teams. So I think that's going to get him a solid look. Torrance is also a guy that I I love his potential. I don't know if we saw the best of Rashad Torrance at Florida at all times, but I love the potential here in the NFL. Yeah, you know, the 40-yard dash for guys in the secondary really starts to make a difference. So when you've got Torrance and Dean at safety, I just actually looked up Ed Reed's 40-yard time was 4.57, and that's considered kind of slow for a safety, and at least at the NFL level. And now you got these guys in like the low four sevens, right? Four seven, I think one's four seven four, one's four seven seven. That's just really not fast enough for what you're doing in the NFL level. So I don't know if they help themselves that much. I mean, no, look, Torrance is the guy I think probably can get away with less speed or at least can get away with a lower 40 time just because he's the more physical guy who's going to come up and help you in the box in the run game. Um, showed that multiple times his ability to come up and do that. Dean is a smaller guy who's really going to be a coverage safety started out his career at Florida as a corner too. Right. So he ostensibly has some coverage skills, but there's a reason why the coverage that Florida had the last couple of years has been substandard. Those zones don't close all that quickly when you got guys who are running four sevens and four eights out there. And that doesn't mean that that's a be all end all certainly change of direction for players becomes really important. In fact, you start looking at the, like the shuttles and those sorts of things for linebackers and for running backs, I think, and, and for wide receivers to some extent, I think the shuttles and the cone drills and those sorts of things might even be more important than the 40 yard dash. But when you're talking about guys who have to recover, 
which is essentially what being a defensive back is, right? Is you're recovering because the offense should always be right if they actually run plays correctly. And now it's you're reading the quarterback's eyes and you're trying to recover if you've gone to a place in the field that you're not quite supposed to be. You got to be able to shift and get up to top speed quickly. And those guys didn't show it there. So I, I think that's actually probably going to hurt them a little bit. I expect them to be drafted. I expect Dean um, to be able to contribute somewhere. Like you said, on special teams, I think all of these guys will have a chance to a, a chance to contribute. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm not looking anywhere anywhere above the fifth round for those guys. I think fifth, sixth, seventh, or maybe even an undrafted free agent is, is where those guys probably end up. Wide receiver Justin Shorter ran a 4-5-5, and that's, you know, 4-5-5, that's an okay time for a receiver. Not not the best, not the worst, but shorter. His game is his size is such a big part of his game too. He ended up benching eighteen reps as well. Vertical jump thirty five inches, thirty five and a half inches. So shorter again, got to find the right fit. But I think he's got the body type or the physicality where I think he's going to get multiple looks from multiple teams. So even I'm not even sure if shorter gets drafted. If he does get drafted, I think with his size, I think he might he might be worth a late round flyer. But if he doesn't, I think this is a guy that's gonna get multiple opportunities to catch on somewhere in the NFL. Yeah, well, I mean, he's big, right? So he's a big red zone target, a guy who showed he could be a deep threat last year when given the opportunity. Um, really struggled early on. Like if you think about 2020 in the Oklahoma game, I think he had he had a couple of drops down the sideline that maybe could have stemmed the tide, at least initially in, mm-hmm. in that particular game. Um, you know, but then again, you look at the 40 for a guy who's as big as he is, four, five, five is not terrible. Um, it's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, you know, I actually looked up just for fun Jerry Rice's 40 time, 4.71, but Rice had all sorts of productivity where he came out of, right? And that's the thing that Shorter's missing is he's missing a long track record of productivity. What what you have is a track record of three years of okay production, right? But at no point was he really the number one guy on Florida's team. And so no one's going to bring him into the league thinking he's going to be the number one or even the number two target on their team. This is different than like Van Jefferson coming out. Who was Van was definitely the number one target on Florida's team when he came out. And even he was a second round pick. So um yeah, I think I think shorter might be a good addition, but I think you're sort of right. I think probably end up sort of in the same in the in the, the same places I talked about with the safeties. That it's going to be someone either falls in love with them and takes them in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, or they're going to be an undrafted free agent with a whole lot of different options when it comes to where they're going to go. Yeah, he'll he'll definitely have multiple years of opportunities and camps to catch on uh, offensive lineman, Richard garage and venture Miller were hurt. Did not participate. Garage is a little bit interesting though. He said he came to the combine healthy and he had planned to do the drills on, on Sunday, but he was not able to because he was, he suffered uh, an injury in the medical exam. Not sure how that happens. They didn't give a lot of detail on that. Will, but uh not so not a lot of data there for garage. I think uh he's pretty safe anyway because I, I think he he's got a lot of tape from his days at Florida. So I think a, a combine is a nice to have. You also got pro day in Gainesville at some point where he'll be able to make up some of that stuff. But Richard Garage and Fetro Miller, two guys with a lot of time on tape at Florida. I, I don't think the combine would make or break for either one. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, Garage is one of those guys who I think you could almost – he didn't quite end up a star, but you can almost consider him a star at Florida because of all the games he was able to contribute there at left tackle and how well the offensive line has played in his time there. Ventrell Miller is interesting, you know, became a leader for Florida, really an unquestioned leader, a sign of maturity for Florida, but obviously his career starts with the credit card scandal and all that sort of stuff, but then – you know, made restitution, came back to the team, unlike some of the guys who were caught up in that scandal who decided to transfer out. And so um, I I would imagine that a lot of the stuff there with, with Miller is the interview process, right? Really trying to process his entire journey there at Florida. Now, what I will say is with Shorter and Dean and Miller and Garage, you are looking at older prospects. And I do think that starts to make a difference when you start talking about where these guys might be drafted. You're not drafting based on potential because these guys have three or four years worth of tape like you mentioned and so you know they're not finished products but they're a heck of a lot closer to a finished product than Richardson who we talked about earlier and you know even Osiris Torrance has less experience than those guys just that his tape is so good that he's going to go in the first round so I do think age starts to play a role you know Ventral Miller and Shorter this year were both super seniors because of the COVID year so they come back for that super senior year they're they're a year older than their contemporaries who are coming out after their senior year, that will make a difference when it comes to this, right? I mean, the NFL is notorious for not for long <laughs> is, is what it stands for. And so that is something I think teams will take into consideration is these guys have an extra year of wear and tear. And so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether they fall because of that or whether they're given extra opportunities because of that, where you basically say, look, we're going to get our three or four years out of these guys. And we don't really care because we're not really interested in their second contract anyway. <laughs> so we just want them for the four or five years we can get them early on. And then that'll be it. Two wild cards. The last two guys here, defensive lineman, Jervon Dexter and defensive end Brenton Cox unbelievably ran about the same time in the 40 4.82 for Cox 4.88 for Dexter uh, just goes to show what a, it, I mean, I, I would have thought Cox was a little faster than that. To tell you the truth, but Dexter nice time by Dexter that 4.88 22 reps on the bench for Dexter 24 for Cox uh, 33 inch vertical leap for Cox and 31 for Dexter. So a lot of these guys, a lot, a lot of similar stats between these two, these two are are the two that I would circle and say could be if they're middle round draft picks. Uh, I think second round would be about appropriate in terms of their ability, their ceiling and their ability. But I think more realistically, you're probably looking at like a, a third to fifth round pick for each. And I think either one of these guys could be a total steal, uh, particularly if they end up a lot of this stuff. It sounds like common sense, but it doesn't always happen. But you got to end up in that right situation. So if Dexter can get in and rotate, be on a rotational basis his first year, like, you know, somewhere strong, like I think he can contribute early on. And same with Cox. You know, I, I keep joking with Cox. I just feel like that's a Bill Belichick player right there. And uh, someone that can maximize his potential would love to see him uh, really reach his ceiling in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think Dexter is going to be a higher pick than Cox. I don't think it'll be particularly close. I think Dexter playing in the bowl game is going to appeal to some of those old school NFL guys who look at it and say, this guy makes a commitment. That's kind of, especially I got somebody on my staff at work who's a chemist and he's a, he's an offensive lineman and that guy'd run through a wall for anybody. It's like just that (laughs) offensive line mentality. And I think in many ways, Dexter coming back for the bowl game sort of shows that defensive line mentality that you're looking for in a defensive tackle. He's also a guy who's pretty versatile at defensive tackle. He's not just a space eater on the defensive tackle, but certainly faced a ton of double and triple teams while he was at Florida, especially the last couple of years when the defensive line had 
has struggled and there hasn't been anybody to to sort of occupy more than one player. And I think that's the thing that makes me think Cox is going to fall is that you're looking at it going, all right, like in one-on-one battles, he could win every once in a while. But did he ever demand a double team? Did anybody ever say we need to stop Brenton Cox, even though he was ostensibly the best player on that defensive line? I don't think he was the best player on the defensive line, which is one of the reasons why nobody really ever had to double team or game plan for him. And then was he able to finish when he got into the backfield? And we saw multiple times last year where he was able to get through the defensive line or the offensive line because of scheme and then wasn't able to make the play and wasn't able to finish. And some of that is, again, I don't think the 40 time is the critical part. I think it's the change of direction. So you look at a defensive lineman, he, he needs to be able to come in. If the quarterback makes a small little juke, has to be able to stop, turn around and continue to chase him. And, and Cox didn't always seem to be able to do that. And especially when it came to like on the edge, when teams were running read options, that was a, that was a place where he, uh, he struggled a little bit sometimes to set the edge and make sure that he took on the the guy who had the ball <laughs> as opposed to, you know, take, taking the quarterback and letting the running back go around the edge or vice versa. Um, and then you also have to factor in that he got kicked off of Florida's team. Um, obviously, Napier wished him well, but it's not. I mean, you do that to everybody, right? I mean, he, he got kicked off the team. And then I don't know what happened when he left Georgia, right? I mean, that was, again, one of those well, we're going to do what's best for Brenton Cox. It just didn't work out, all that sort of stuff. But was it the same type of stuff? You know, Napier said it was a cumulative effect. And so Napier's going to be getting some calls asking, what do you mean when you say cumulative effect? And he's not going to lie because at the end of the day, these guys need to know that they're going to get honest assessments from coaches. And so the question for Cox, and I think whether he's like a fourth or a fifth round pick or whether he's an undrafted free agent, probably has more to do with what the coaching staff tells the NFL than Cox's actual ability. Cause I think he's draftable if you take all that other stuff off the table, but a guy who gets kicked off the team halfway through a rebuilding year, eh, after, after basically saying he wants to win beat after he wants to, to achieve the the sack record for the school during the off season, yeah. like, you know, how's he going to deal with it when an offensive tackle in the NFL starts dominating him, right? How, how, like, what's it going to turn into? And again, I don't know the details of why Brenton Cox was kicked off, but, the fact that he was is something that we aren't going to be able to gauge, but I think we'll be able to gauge given where he where he's drafted, um, what the personnel people have been able to glean from Florida staff. His draft stock will suffer. That's not. There's no question about that. However, can I envision a scenario where he's in a spot where he's a role player that gets six to eight sacks for someone next season? Yeah, I could see. I wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me to see that with him. He's got that kind of talent. I, I struggle to see that mainly because yeah. I think he topped out at eight sacks at Florida. And even yeah. then it was like, I think he had like three or four sacks against Florida state in the last game. And in 2021, they brought him up to that level. So, you know, we talk about Anthony Richardson being inconsistent. I think Brenton Cox fits that same. He was either consistently not getting pressure or he was incredibly inconsistent at getting pressure. And then, uh, you know, I, there was nothing that jumped off the tape when I looked at him this year that said, this is a guy that, that Florida can't, can't be without so well, look I, I wish him well i hope he does well but I, you know if i were a personnel guy I'd, I'd really take a hard look um because the reality is he's been in the best conference in the country and has not been a difference maker on that defense right you think about jakai polite you think about jabari zinigi you think about jonathan grenard and cox was supposed to be that guy to pick up that mantle in the exact same defense and was unable to do so which means you look at Ja'Kai Polite, Jabari Zuniga, and John Grenard and what they've done in the NFL and say, okay, is a light version of those guys going to give us six to eight sacks? 
I don't know. But you know what? I, I probably would have said the same stuff about James Houston last year, and all of a sudden he came in, comes into Houston or into Detroit and just absolutely kills from you know game nine or ten on. So, uh, you know, I, I well, think – There's an interesting uh, – because you talk about Houston too. There's another guy. Like, does this feel a little bit like these guys were all key players throughout the Dan Mullen era, and they carried over in here in the year one of Billy Napier, obviously – but this is maybe a little bit the unofficial close to the Dan Mullen chapter in the Florida history books in terms of his guys in, in the building here. And I'm looking at this and it's like, we're saying the same thing across the board for a lot of these guys. Will it's like great potential. Hope they reach it in the NFL. Cause we certainly didn't get to see it in Gainesville. So that, I think that that's a little bit of a trademark, a hallmark there from Dan Mullen's last few years here at Florida. Well, that's what happens when you go six and seven, two straight years. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about Billy Napier and his approach is different than Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen rode the Jim McElwain recruits until they were no longer around. And then everything started to fall apart. Billy Napier has decided to go heavy turnover. And so now these guys have left more guys have left to the transfer portal. And it's pretty much Napier guys at this point who are in the, uh, yeah. who, are, who are in the spring practice. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can do. That's why for those of you who are struggling to get excited because, you know, we're not projected to win the SEC or anything 23, that's the story. The story is this is Napier's team now. Like you look at 23, it's not like you look at all these key guys, nine guys in the NFL combine off the team we've watched for the last two years. Kind of shocking in a way there, Will. But, (laughs) again, this is a similar story. A lot of potential. Hope they get there. Obviously, if you're ever a Gator, we'll be rooting for you in the NFL. Let's move on to six bits here. Florida. Started spring ball this past week, so a little bit of news and notes. 15 spring practices. Uh, Orange and Blue game will be Thursday, April 13th at 7.30 p.m. So far, good reviews on Mertz early on. A lot of positive buzz around freshman wide receiver Andy Jean. Uh, Jamarcus Weston sliding over to the defense, playing safety after playing offense for for a while there, Will. So giving a little depth at the defensive back position. other than that, we were joking around about the Mertz video about overanalyzing everything on Twitter. It's just how it is. It's, it's just how it's going to be for the next few weeks. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't glean too much. I don't think we're going to learn a, a lot about the fall in the next couple of weeks. We'll maybe get a little glimpse during the spring game where you'll actually see them in action a little bit. But other than that, I it's like you call it. This is definitely line season here in the spring. Yeah, well, we'll learn something in the spring game, I think. I think we'll learn a lot about where Max Brown is when the spring game comes up. Obviously, he's playing baseball right now. I have an article coming up in the next couple of days that's going to look at all three of them from a statistical perspective. I think Mertz, I mean, what are we learning? He spent three years at, at Wisconsin. The question is going to be when the when the green light goes on for the season, is Florida's offense that much different than Wisconsin's? Is Wisconsin's offense that bad that putting Graham Mertz in there was just a disservice to him and all of a sudden he can improve? It's one of the things I'm going to be taking a look at is how much do I think he can actually improve? Like what would a, what would a like ceiling be for an improvement and that sort of thing? And does that mean that maybe, maybe Florida should move on from him? I think the thing we're really going to learn from Mertz and Miller and Brown in spring practice is, um, is what Napier thinks when we see who comes in uh, through the portal, right? If, if it's sort of a backup type of guy who comes in through the portal, then we figure he's probably pretty comfortable with Mertz. If it's a guy who's going to compete for the starting job then it's like, Oh crap. <laughs> like nobody, nobody played well. Nobody took the, took the bull by the horns. I was really interested. There, there were actually some, there was some discussion about Scooby Williams 
moving out to the edge or outside linebacker. But today he was tweeting that he's actually inside, been inside, inside the entire yeah. time. Now that is somewhat Florida's fault. Cause I believe in the initial depth charts that they released, they had him at an <laughs> outside linebacker. And certainly given the fact that we only have Powell Ryland, Pyburn and Searcy there at the edge, it would make sense to have, to start building depth in those particular spaces. And like you mentioned, Marcus Weston moving out, moving over to safety again, makes a lot of sense considering they don't have anybody at safety in either the junior or the senior category. I mean, they got the, the starters are going to be Miguel Mitchell and, and Kamari Wilson. And those are true sophomores who just got their feet wet last year, who are going to be starting. And those are the guys we sit there and go, Hey, look, those are the veterans. <laughs> so, so if Weston's not getting on the field as a, as a wide receiver, then it would make sense to move him over there. And, and certainly with Gene seeming to step up here in, in spring camp, um, that sort of opens up some opportunities for those receivers to leave. Now it is interesting. Receiver is not a place where Florida has a ton of depth. And so you know, I, I'm a little bit surprised that there are guys already moving from wide receiver to other positions just because there are not a lot of receivers on the roster right mm-hmm. now, um, especially with Eugene Wilson not here for spring camp. So, um, you know, you're looking at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten guys total at receiver. Weston makes that nine. Uh, it's eight considering you don't have Wilson there right now. You get a couple of injuries. It's going to get pretty thin pretty quick. But uh, I think you could probably say the same thing at safety, too. Yeah, maybe he'll flip back later on if we get a couple of those injuries. But it's it's this is the time to try it out, right? Try I'd rather see him try that out in spring ball than in fall camp. So give it a shot, see if he's a good fit. So th- that's all for our, our notes early on here for spring ball. Let's move on here to a dollar. Wrap up with the new tight end coach. Russ Calloway has been promoted from an off-field assistant analyst. He was a defensive intern last year, uh, two tight ends coach. Callaway joined the Gators in 2022 after spending 2021 with the New York Giants, where he served as an offensive assistant in 2020. He was an offensive assistant for LSU, making a significant impact on the Tigers offense. And after 2020, head coach Ed Ogeron promoted Callaway to senior offensive analyst before Callaway took the job with the NFL. So again, Will, uh, common theme here, another young guy, 35 years old, uh, filling in for another young departing coach, William Piegler, now with the Arizona. What did he end up with the defensive line with the Cardinals? Did we see as an assistant along the defensive yeah, line? He's an assistant defensive line coach. Yeah. Yep. So, so you're seeing another young coach working their way up, getting a shot here from Billy, which leaves only the wide receiver spot to be filled. Yeah. I mean, look, I think. I think that's a little bit worrisome. You want to get that spot filled certainly relatively quickly. Um, For the most part, when it comes to assistant coaches who are not coordinators, the thing I'm looking for is recruiting. It's like, what do you do in terms of relationships? What do you do in terms of building that type of structure? I I don't think you can look at a tight ends coach. If the tight ends all of a sudden blossom under Callaway, is it because of Callaway's tutelage or is it because this is the second year in Billy Napier's offense, they decide to feature him because Graham Mertz is a little bit more versed at getting the ball to the tight ends. It's probably a little bit of everything. Um, But that's always the thing as I look at it. And this is sort of the argument that I make when it comes to recruiting is that, you know, if you have better players, everyone's trying to develop them. So, you know, you have to have a truly special X's and O's coach to really make a huge difference compared to sort of what the generic on-field X's and O's coach would be. So when I look at Callaway, the way we're going to gauge him or the way I'm going to gauge him is who's in that tight end room next year and the year after that. Because if he's able to bring in guys like Brock Bowers and and guys like Darnell Washington and all the or guys like Kyle Pitts and all of a sudden now you've got a tight end room that's teeming with talent – 
Well, then Callaway is going to look brilliant regardless of whether he's a great X's nose coach. Now, look, he's been an offensive coordinator in the past. So that does help, right? To have it, he's not somebody or, who's sort of. Or Samford from 2017 yeah, so, to 2019. Yeah, so he's not somebody who's sort of grown up coaching positions. This isn't a question like Piegler, who's sort of gone between the defense and the offense and those sorts of things. So the one thing I will say that Callaway really does bring is the ability to understand the big picture of the offense and then say, hey, tight ends, this is how you fit within the big picture of the offense. And these are the things we're going to work on to make Mm -hmm. sure that you fit within that big picture. And being an offensive coordinator previously, he would have had a tight ends coach. So he would have known what he wanted from the tight ends coach. And so in, in many ways, I think that might be why this is a better fit is you've got a guy who instead of learning on the job is a guy who really is kind of taking a step down at a bigger program, um, you know, where at, and, but still has, still should have that big level view. And it's not like he was an offensive coordinator at a program that was failing. He was an offensive coordinator at a program that was doing a really nice job of putting up points. And so, uh, so I think if you're, if you're going to be, to your point, Will, Sanford in 2018 led the nation in passing yards in the FCS, 392 yards per game, and the Bulldogs ranked fourth nationally in total offense while he was the offensive coordinator there. So I, I he also, you talk about recruiting, spent time as a recruiting, recruiting coordinator for Murray State also in the FCS. Well, so we'll see. I mean, this is one of those show me. Right. If if Dante Sanders and Keon Zipper come out and have, you know, 35 catches each, then uh Callaway's gonna get all sorts of praise and we'll deserve it, right? But a big part of that is gonna be, you know, Graham Mertz getting the ball to him or somebody getting the ball to him. A big part of that is gonna be making sure the tight ends understand how they fit within the overall system. And a big part of that is gonna be having the tight ends be a part of the running game. Because quite honestly, one of the reasons why the tight ends didn't get a lot of run last year wasn't the fact that they weren't catching the ball. It was that you were better off having another wide receiver out there because it spread things out because your tight ends weren't blocking well enough. And so those will be sort of the things that I think you're looking for this year. But again, I think long-term the way you evaluate Callaway is who's in that, who's in that tight end room a year or two from now, who wasn't in there now, um, who's, uh, who's really able to make a difference. By the way, I do want to credit Gator country, pulled that information off of uh, Gator country regarding uh, Callaway here. So I, I, I think it's good. I think it's good. Hire Will. This is someone that I, is someone that's going to, I like these young and hungry coaches that, that trend that we're going here with Napier. Cause you do have that experience on the upper levels with the offensive coordinator and everything. So I, I I'm okay with these position guys being young guys who are hungry to make a name for themselves. So I, the hope is that you have a good enough staff. Look at how much turnover Alabama has. Georgia just lost their offensive coordinator to the NFL. The defensive coordinator was being uh Schumann was talking to Philly. I think he ended up deciding to stay there in Georgia, but you want this happening. I think it's a sign of a healthy program. So I hope we're talking about coaching turnover like this. Uh, every every year it should be happening if you got a healthy program yeah absolutely i mean i think that's the question though is is it a mass exodus where people are leaving because it's not a healthy program or is it a healthy program because other people want your guys i think we're only going to know as things progress napier has clearly um, emphasized culture he's clearly emphasized trying to make sure that everybody's rowing in the same direction and in many ways i think that's one of the reasons why he's going to win a lot of games at florida the question then becomes does he win the games that you need to win when you're at florida but that's a different question right and and considering that we've had two straight coaches who have sort of had the bottom fall out from under them i think one of the things that napier's trying to do is make sure that he's got a baseline to where the bottom doesn't fall out as as the program builds um you know 
again, I, I think we can have disagreements about whether <laughs> whether there are benchmarks that are hit and all those sorts of things. But I don't think there's any doubt that that's what he's trying to do. And so um, part of that is making sure you have the right people on staff. And look, Callaway may not have been available last year, right? It may be something where they looked at it and said, Callaway's available now. He's a better fit than Piegler. Piegler gets an opportunity to go to the NFL. Great. Same thing with Patrick Tony, right? Like, obviously, it couldn't have been easy for his family in Gainesville last year, given that everybody sort of anointed him the savior coming in to replace Todd Grantham, and then everything was worse than, than against Todd Grantham, or than than with Todd Grantham, and that's not going to go very well. And you know, another year of that, and it would have really hurt Tony's prospects. And so you let him go to the NFL. He doesn't have to deal with the recruiting aspect of things. And, uh, you know, hopefully you bring in an Austin Armstrong's a, a better replacement for that. But, um, you know, look, you only get the opportunity to make those changes once. You're not going to get an opportunity to change another defensive coordinator before things are going to have to start to fall on the head guy. And, you know, Napier knows that too, which means I'm sure he was diligent in terms of who he was picking. And uh, I'm excited to see what some of these young guys can do. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of pressure on Napier to win. This is the University of Florida. It's always going to be like that. But you talked about it. It's interesting you use the phrase that the the floor kind of fell out under Mullen and McIlwain. Biggest difference I've seen between Mullen and McIlwain and Napier, I don't think Napier's going to shoot himself in the foot in terms of public relations. I think Mullen did not handle himself well down the stretch that final year. Mullen kind of tanked overall publicly. There was a, like, he just did not handle thing after thing. Well, in 20, the end of 2020 into 2021, there was situation after situation. He did not handle well. And when you coupled that with the losing season and the lack of recruiting, I think that was just a whole, that was a whole situation. Mac went too. he really didn't. I I don't think he, I, I think the way he went out too, you talked about, they used that excuse about the, what was it? The fake the that he made up the was he saying it the death threat or something on that? <laughs> what did he say? I don't even remember on that. It was just something where it was, it, it it wasn't true. It was it, whatever he said wasn't true. I think that Napier's not going to shoot himself in the foot like that though, and that's wow. I think the biggest difference where Napier might get more patience than guys like Mullen and. and McElwain who you know they had their good traits to them don't get me wrong we all support our coaches but like you know they had that prickly side to them that Napier seems to not uh not show on I mean, he's a football coach I'm sure he's got a prickly side to him but he doesn't show it publicly anyway he does a much better job of presenting uh in the public sector than those two did well we'll see I mean I think I I don't know that people had a lot of problems with Jim McElwain when he was leading Florida to the SEC championship game the first two years that he was there. I think, uh, you know, when, when he decided to go on some rant that it wasn't him who was humping a shark, okay, things started to change a little bit. And then, like you mentioned, making death threats or, you know, making comments about the players and themselves getting death threats and then not sharing the information with the administration. That's a problem. And all of a sudden, everybody turns against him. Mullen, the first couple of years, was still a little bit prickly, but nobody had a problem with him because he was he won 21 games, games those first yeah. two years, right? <laughs> you win 21 games your first two years, everybody thinks stuff's heading in the right direction. The, then the refusal to get rid of Grantham and the refusal to admit that uh, recruiting is a 24-7 thing in the lifeblood of a program right after you're getting whipped by teams that have very clearly made that the priority. Obviously, that dooms him too. So I'm not – I'm not – I'm not naive enough to think that if if Napier has another six and seven season, 
it ain't going to matter what he says on the podium. At some point, you got to prove it, right? And so that that to me is the, is the thing is that yes, he will get patience. If Florida goes eight and four this year, I think a lot of people are expecting another six six season. I think if he goes eight and four, I think there will be a lot of people who say that exceeded expectations. We're headed in the right direction, and he gets more patience, right? And then if he goes nine and three the year after that, okay, he's going to get more patience. You see this a lot with programs to sort of get to that nine and three, 10 and two spot. And the question is, are they going to be able to get over the hump? And that'll pro I am, I am thinking that will probably be where Florida kind of sits two, three, four years from now with the expansion of the playoff to 12 teams, you might even see a year where maybe they, they end up in the playoff. And so you're, you, you're going to have these dueling factions of people going, well, we can't beat Alabama or Georgia. And the other group of people saying, yeah, but we just made the playoff. <laughs> so it'll be like the Mike White, Mike White argument all over again. I think the way he's building the program is going to build patience, right? Because if the bottom never falls out, you don't have the people who go, yeah, he didn't make a gaffe, but look, he only won four games, right? I mean, that at the end of the day, Dan Mullen can be as prickly as he wants about recruiting. If he's going 10 and three, 11 and two, just to it's, illustrate, just to illustrate how easy it is to make the playoff with 12 teams. Dan Mullen makes the playoffs his first three years. Yep. And 12 team and, playoff. So at, at the university of Florida, we should not have many severe playoff droughts. We should we won't make the playoffs every year, but we should make the playoffs a good, I don't know, three out of five, three oh. out of five years. <laughs> if that's your standard for Napier, there ain't gonna be a whole lot of patience, man. Like, I think like, I think we can, man. I mean, with the the way the program operated, if we're going by the program at a championship standard from 1990 through, I mean, even let's call it through today, like like that. I think that is uh, an okay standard, mate. Two to three times out of every five years, you should be in the playoffs with a 12 team playoff. I'll hold you to that. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think that's that crazy. Top 12? Go look at the numbers, Will. Yeah, well, that, that's for a different day <laughs> because we're still a year away. All right. Good show here. We'll wrap it up here. Thanks for joining us on Stand Up and Holler. Will, you got any final words before we head out? Oh, man, just appreciate all the support. I am doing something over at uh, Patreon. If you go over to patreon.com slash read and reaction, I'm doing some Ask Me Anything videos over there. I'm going to put a little cut up on YouTube with uh, with one of the articles I put up soon, so you'll be able to get a little taste of that. Uh, if you go over there, it's a little two bucks a month. You can support us, um, and we're putting extra content up over there. So go check it out. Yeah, ask them how many times Florida's finished in the top 12 since 1990. That'd be a good starting place. I haven't done that yet. The first two are, um, should we expect better play from the secondary was the second one. And then, uh, and then the first one was what is Billy Napier's offensive philosophy was the question that was asked by oh, the folks cool. on Patreon. So, Hey, if you've ever, if you have questions we haven't dealt with on these things and you're interested, go over there, sign up. You can ask me a question and, uh, and I'll get to it eventually though. There's a pretty decent backlog right now. So I'm working through that. Yeah. Maybe we could steal some of those for topics for the show. Just credit the people on Patreon for that. So thank thank you for the support, everybody. Appreciate that. Ask me anything with Will Miles on Patreon if you're interested. Check it out. All right. Thank you for joining uh, this week. We'll be back next week for Will Miles. I'm Nick Knudsen. Have a great weekend, everybody. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction. Or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anything over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.